Well, indeed, good morning, and uh, glad to see everybody today. Summer's coming. What do you think? Does that sound good? I think it sounds good. If you're new, we're glad you're here today, and um, we are continuing a series that we've been in for, I think this is our seventh week, but I'm not kicking off today's talk related to the AD series, which uh, is in conjunction with the NBC series on Sunday night with a video clip. Uh, because it's sort of a little bit of a different day, but it fits right in the heart of where we're at in the book of Acts. And so uh, this is sort of a special Sunday in one sense, and um, we're calling it Great Commission uh, Day Sunday. And so as Great Commission Day, we are going to be focusing on uh, what God intended to uh, encourage us about related to um, the Great Commission that he ordered us to do. So with that, I want to just have a quick word of prayer because I'm very mindful Uh, of the huge importance of a Sunday such as this, but also the reality that uh, you can just sort of glaze over and just wait for lunch. And I don't want you to do that. I want the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and to move on our hearts as a church because we have a distance to go in many areas. And the area that we're talking about today is uh, one of those areas that God wants us to grow in as a body and to grow in as a body, I want, I know it's necessary for each of us, myself included, to grow in our own lives concerning what God called us to. Jesus, we thank you that today we are able to come to worship you and uh, know that you live through us. Lord, each of us come from different places in our spiritual journey here this morning. Some of us have known you for many years and we love you, we worship you, we seek to serve you. Lord, others of us maybe find ourselves in a very challenging time where we're really doubting you a lot and we're not even quite sure why we're in church today. Lord, then there's other ones of us that this is all sort of new, just taking some steps to say, okay, is there a place for God in my life? Is there a place of more significance to be found um, near the foot of Jesus? And so I pray, God, that you would help each of us and may you unfold our hearts to your words from Scripture We've been on this journey, Jesus, of your early church after your resurrection, ascension to heaven, the pouring out of your spirit upon your followers. Your church began to expand and grow. And at the critical conjuncture we're looking at today, Lord, I just pray that you would help us not only identify afresh and anew how your church moved around the world, but how that church moving around the world can be a part of who we are as a local body and a part of each of our lives as we seek to be obedient to you. In your name, God's people said, amen. amen. Um, don't you love it when you're watching a program, a TV show, and then the commercials come in? Commercials are always breaking things up. Definitely in the AD series, I'm like, get rid of the commercials. It's just really breaking up what I watch on Sunday nights at 9. But uh, there's one or two commercials that just are really hard for me in the middle of an enjoying time watching television. And one of those has to do with this. When they put up the pictures on your television screens of the poor animals that need to be adopted, you can get the saddest looking face dogs possible and put them on the screen. And this caption here says, my time's almost up. Would you please come and adopt me? 
And you're going like, really, let's move it past that. And even now they, you know, for feeding the homeless or uh, people around the world, a lot of times they put the images, right? Reality images. We need to be aware of them. I'm not negating them. But there that commercial is and it's tugging at your heart. Look at those dogs. Don't those dogs. You want to go adopt one of those dogs, right? Until I realized when I look at my dog, Maggie, she's well taken care of. Trust me, my dog is well taken care of by my family. My dog can look like that, too. <laughs> How about yours? Yeah. yeah, they had their little moments. They put that little pouty face on there and go, oh, come on, come on. Can I have some more food or come over here and pet me? What's the deal going on now? When they run ads like that, what are they appealing to in your life? Your heart. Your heart. Because you're like, oh my goodness, somebody needs to do something about that plight. Well, today we are focusing on God's call in our life to fulfill the Great Commission. And this is Great Commission Day. The challenge for me, uh, whether you're young in the faith, old in the faith, new to the faith, outside the faith, the challenge for me today <laughs> is to mobilize you to care about the world and what Jesus told us to do. But not just appeal to your heart and your empathy and your emotions. Because if it's just your emotions that are being appealed to concerning fulfillment of the Great Commission and obeying God, then it will waver and go away. If we are going to be a people, if you are going to be an individual of conviction concerning the Great Commission... It has to be more than the heart. It has to even be more than the head. It has to be a conviction of your whole being concerning the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, we're called the Awakening Church. And uh, yesterday was great. We had about 120 ladies. Phil, how many ladies were here yesterday? We had a great women's conference here. Uh, We hosted it. And uh, the Ladylike Conference seemed to go off really well. There was a lot of energy, a lot of exhorting and encouragement, how to live godly lives, that kind of thing. And that's encouraging. And, And the energy from that, I'm like, man, that's good. And we're hosting it at the Awakening Church. And the Awakening Church was alive yesterday with 120 women just cheering on God and seeking Him. All right? But the awakening church doesn't have to do just with, uh, you know, seeing a lot of people or to be able to have energy in worship. We have to be awakened to the things that are in the heart of God. And we've captured the mission of our church, the awakening church, with this phrase, to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. You need to have that memorized because I give tests when I come sometimes. No. I encourage you to let that phrase ring in your head because it's not just something to post on the wall down the hall. This is true of God's intent that you would be a person who is fully alive as a human being created in the image of God for the purposes that God has for you, that you're fully alive in him and his life dwells within you. So if you're here this morning and you've never crossed the line of faith of receiving Jesus Christ into your life, good news, you've got great things in store for you. Because God wants you to be spiritually alive. But to be spiritually alive, you have to have a life of Christ through His Spirit who comes and penetrates your life and dwells within you. And we want you to be fully alive. And over the course of life, 
Over the course of a week, months, years, the adversary and the world itself works against you to make you a dead person in Christ. You're not to be a dead person. You're to be fully alive. And so we work with that angle of how are you to be fully alive in Christ? But not only fully alive with Christ's life in you and to be able to worship and to love him, but to be able to serve him as well. And so we say the awakening church is seeking to enable people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. But the and is not like, okay, you can choose this part or you can choose this part. They go together. In fact, they play off of one another. To be fully alive in Christ, you will never get there until you choose to be alive to the mission of what Jesus came to do on this earth. And as you are alive to the mission of what Jesus came to do on this earth, you will become more fully alive in Christ because guess what? Who dwells within you that needs to be the person that's living through you? Jesus. And so the things that are dear to Jesus through His Spirit... If you give attention to those, they will cause you to be more fully alive. And so the Awakening Church, what are we about? To be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. So today we're focusing on this latter part, even though it's not a separated part. To be alive to the mission, be alive to the mission to me has three tiers. There's a local dynamic to it, which begins in your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, your community, this valley, okay, a local mission, there is a regional mission which has to do more with maybe like Southern California or even the nation, all right? But then there is a global mission. And so when we're focusing on the Great Commission Day today, we're referencing in one sense all three tiers, that you're engaged in doing what Jesus is doing in your neighborhood, in your state, in the world. Local, regional, global. All right, you got those? So fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And um, this is the Great Commission, if you're not familiar with it. The Great Commission was given by Jesus at the end of Matthew, before his ascension. He gathers them together. If he walked in the door here this morning, he would say, hey, Awakening Church, gather with me. I wouldn't be surprised if he pulled out these exact words and repeated them over again to us. Let's read this together. Then Jesus came to them and said, here we go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We've referenced this many times before, but I come back to it again. One, repetition is helpful. One, I want to mobilize us afresh and anew for the global cause. And it's not just going to come by uh, endearing yourself to the emotional aspect of it. There's four verbs in here. One is go and the second is make. The go is assumed as you go, make disciples, which means not just make converts, convince people of the right kind of thinking. You are making disciples, and a disciple is someone who is a follower. All right? Not perfect. All right? Not all nice and saintly. Look at the disciples. Watch AD on Sunday nights. They're not all saintly, are they? A disciple is someone who is chosen to be a follower. And if you will, sit under not just the teachings of Jesus, but the purposes and the call of Jesus. And he says, now this is what you need to do. I'm going to be heading out of here. And I want you uh, 
to take my work and I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples of all nations. And all nations means all people groups. And in that sense, it's really dealing with all three tiers, the local, the regional, and the global. Now, last week, as we're walking our way through Acts, I told you that this was a significant turning point. You could actually take the book of Acts and break it into three phases. Three phases of fulfilling the Great Commission. All right? The first phase is in the first seven chapters. And then from 8 to 12 in the book of Acts, we have phase 2. And then from 13 on is phase 3. So we're at a pivot point as we're walking through the first 10 chapters of Acts. And this pivot point has to do with going global. All right? And they're going to go global by first going regional. Okay? Last week, we had the challenge of talking about the martyrdom of Stephen on Mother's Day. And we got it done. And the martyrdom of Stephen is referenced in Acts 6 and 7. And Stephen was one of these um, great leaders that was picked out to lead. He was bold. He was full of grace. He was full of faith. He was full of wisdom. He was full of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. And so let me just drop back into the last part of chapter 7 after Stephen has had this long sermon where he exhorts and tells the religious elite of the day that they are guilty with blood on their hands for putting Jesus Christ to death when Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah. And so we find this in Acts 7, verse 57. As they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They did not like what he was saying. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we saw last week in the AD series that Saul has now become a prominent person. All right? Saul, before he became converted to be a follower of Christ, Paul, before he became a convert to Christ, was named Saul. All right. And so they pull this out and give reference that Saul was there. I think it's the tall guy on the right in the AD series is actually witnessing this murder of Stephen because of Stephen's boldness for Christ. Verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. Now, the very next verse begins to show the pivot and the change. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It picks up and again gives reference. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. But here's the transition, the pivot point from phase one to phase two of the mission of God in the book of Acts. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Next verse. Those who had been scattered, what'd they do? They went and hid. No, they didn't go hide. They preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. 
When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And look at the last phrase. So there was great joy in that city. If you saw the episode last Sunday night, they have uh, uh, Saul and his entourage were going through and they were lighting up the camp and sort of, you know, pushing in the Christians away from Jerusalem. And so they scattered and it'll pick back up there tonight. But this scattering of the Christians uh, from an outside observer is going like, this is not good news. And it wasn't for them personally. But God was in the persecution and the suffering to fulfill his perfect and good plan. Now, I don't know if the church up to this time, everything you've read in the book of Acts up to this time, from the time of Jesus' ascension to uh, this moment in Acts 8, uh, has taken place in Jerusalem, phase one. And I don't know if they were sitting around in their duffs in fear still a little bit. They had some boldness. Miracles were happening. There was energy happening. We talked about that last couple of weeks. But there's part of me that thinks that maybe they weren't quite getting it yet. And what were they not quite getting yet? Well, remember Acts 8.1? I'm sorry, this Acts 8.1? Remember Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, Jesus gave them the commandment, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was not a suggestion. This was not a, hey, if you want to get an extra, you know, some bonus points to get an A. No, this was front and center, the heart of the Jesus that dwells in you and me, if you're a follower this morning. And that heart is that his good news and the power of his life would go throughout the world, beginning in Jerusalem, but then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was God's intent. And it was spoken by Jesus. So were they sitting around and going, man, we're, we're really getting a lot of people here. Look, we got the largest mega church in Jerusalem. What do you think, man? It's really rocking and a roll. We got a great worship band. There's all kinds of ministries, kids programs, students programs. We're good. And we are very, you know, I'm sure God is pleased with us because of what we're doing here in Jerusalem. Myopic. And Jesus says, um, now it wasn't fully my plan. And so God in his sovereignty, I believe, allowed the persecution of the church. Because when the church was persecuted, what happened? They scattered throughout where? Judea and Samaria. They started heading into regional mission. Now we look at this from a missional perspective here this morning. And I challenge you, not just for the heart or the head, but with a deep conviction. But let's look at our personal life. Have you ever witnessed God allowing persecution and suffering in your personal life for a greater purpose? We don't want that to happen. I don't. Unless, you know, you're some type of glutton for persecution or difficulty in your life. We don't like it. We want easy street. I want to arrive at a safe place, a place where everything's sort of put in order. The finances are good. The health's good. The kids are behaving good. The job thing's looking pretty promising. And we just keep longing and longing for everything to be nice. Well, friends, it won't be nice 
just the time that you find yourself scaling some success ladder, then maybe your health starts to have problems, or maybe your mother or your father starts to have health difficulties too or something. There's always something going on. And we want to push back against that. We want to grieve with that. But God in his sovereignty takes our persecutions and our sufferings and allows it for us to be molded into his likeness. And how is that? Because we start to seek God a lot of times through that. God, help me. God, help me. I had a dear friend this week who was in ministry, and, and he ended up leaving the ministry, him and his wife and his family. I don't fully know all the reasons why. But I do know that there's some challenges internally within their home. And they just left a ministry they started and built for many years. And they're now looking for another means of employment. They're not walked away from God, but there's brokenness that has come into their life. And they've had to pull back. And the interesting thing was I just watched a video prior to this week of this friend of mine who was given a promotion video for, for being global and taking God's heart. And he was talking about brokenness. And I liked what he said. You know, he said the word broken can have different kinds of meanings. If you are broke and you don't have any money, that's not good. If your car is broke, that's not good. But there is no horse that's worth riding unless it has been broken. God will take your brokenness and use it in your life for his good to make you more like Christ, and I believe sometimes to move you into places and dimensions to serve him that you would have never thought. Friends, there was brokenness that came into Melissa and I's life a couple years ago, and God relocated us here. And through that brokenness, God in his sovereignty is working out his will in our life and in our home. And though it wasn't enjoyable, and there's still a lot of getting acclimated to things, We say, God, thank you for the brokenness and the persecution sometimes that comes into our life. So if you're finding yourself in some personal brokenness or persecution here this morning, don't don't just totally shun it. Don't just cry out mad to God or walk away from God. Seek to embrace it and say, what is it about this brokenness that's going to make me whole, make me fully alive in Christ, or be on his mission in a new way? I find it interesting. Acts 8.1, Acts 1.8. Assuming the Holy Spirit intended that, flip it in. The first seven chapters, phase one. But I tell you what, Acts 8.1 is as powerful and as important as Acts 1.8. He scattered them throughout Judea and Samaria. If you're unfamiliar with geography, this is where Judea and Samaria are during the time of Jesus. They were, uh, there were different pockets in Israel, modern-day Israel. So you had Judea where Jerusalem was. All right, in Bethlehem, Jericho, that's all in the Judea area. Then just north of Judea was Samaria, and Samaria sort of was a mixed hybrid of people, and they shunned the Samaritans, all right? And a lot of times they went all the way around on the other side of the Jordan River if they had to go from Judea up to um, Galilee because no one wanted to go through Samaria. We've heard stories in Scripture about the Samaritan woman, so on and so forth. And then the northern part is Galilee, Nazareth, all right? And that's where Jesus was from, and he did his ministry with his uh, early disciples around the Sea of Galilee a lot. And so when Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's great. You got it? Good. Now I want you to realize it's not one thing, then the next, then the next, the next. I have a global plan. All right? We're going to franchise my life around the world. And so 
he scattered them to the other parts of Judea, and he scattered them to Samaria. And so they started to move out in these directions. Now you look at Acts 11, just a few chapters later, and we find this verse in Acts 11:19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we continue to see the story unrolled in Acts. And we won't get to this point in the AD series because the AD series on Sunday night will end at Acts chapter 10. But here we are in Acts 11, and they're referencing what? They're referencing back to Acts 8, phase 1 to phase 2, that scattering, that persecution began fulfilling the will of God, and they started to move out from there. Now, as they moved out, this was a little bit of a teaser about phase 3. As they moved out, they were predominantly ministering to Jewish people. In fact, I would like to sit and talk to the disciples when Jesus said, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, there were Jews scattered throughout the known world at that time. This is called the Dysphoria, people that had been scattered in different places, and that's why a lot of them, Hellenistic Jews, had come back, and they were part of Jerusalem uh, for Passover and all the events that happened when Christ was crucified. So Jewish people are scattered around the Mediterranean Sea. But I want to ask the disciples, when Jesus gave you the Acts 1-8, command, were you just thinking it would be for your own kind, for your own people, just the Jewish people? And we start to see that that's predominantly true. That was the thinking. We need to get to the Jews to let them know we have found the Messiah and he's risen from the dead. His name is Christ and become a follower of his. But what happens here, the little bit of the teaser, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. All right. And this teaser begins to show that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not just for the little niche of people of Jesus that Jesus was born into, but he blessed the Israelites so that they could be a blessing to all people. And this movement that starts to capture the world goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts to the ends of the earth. Here's a picture of some of the places during the time of Christ where the Jewish people had been scattered in the Greco-Roman world because the Romans are in control of it. And so you have it in Jerusalem, and that chapter 11 verse we just looked at brings up the city of Antioch. Antioch became a base of operations for scattering the gospel and sending out missionary endeavors throughout the whole known world at that time, the prominent known world. And the cities you see there, whether it's from Tarsus, Derby, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, Thessalonica, Rome, all right, they're was a trajectory that started to happen as the power of Jesus Christ and the good news of his resurrection came. And part of this was possible because when Jesus was crucified and raised from the grave, people from all those areas were in the town of Jerusalem. And so when they went home, they went home with what? Eyewitness accounts and the passion of saying, we saw a man raised from the dead and he claimed to be the son of man, the son of God himself. All right, so this is how the story is playing its way out in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, it was a small, isolated pocket of followers. But for the last 2,000 years, it's moved not only around the Mesopotamian area, the Greco-Roman world, 
but literally completely around the globe. And we as a church are in the same lineage as followers of Jesus as those early disciples were. And the Great Commission does not go away. He still tells us at the Awakening Church, I want you to take the good news of salvation through me, that people can be fully alive, not only sins forgiven, but empowered by the Spirit to live as they were created to live. And I want you to take it from Temecula Valley to across the nation, around the world. So that's our assignment this week. Who's going to go? Who's got plans heading out? I know some of you head across country on some of your travels. That's pretty cool, and you can have influence that way. I think we should have a committee meeting. I think, think maybe we should you know, take a vote, raise hand. Who's, who wants to be first to go? I mean, some of the early years when uh, the modern missionary movement happened, um, you know, they would send out people, and they would take their own uh, casket box with them. In fact, they packed all their belongings in the casket wooden box. You know why? They knew they weren't coming back. There you go. There's there's my puppy dog pictures. Oh, yeah, we do, and there's need there. And I think, I don't know, guilt trip, guilt trip. No, it's not a guilt trip. It's this. There just has to be a conviction about obedience to Jesus' words. And I want to be fully alive in Christ. And I can't get there unless I'm alive to Christ's mission, local, regional, and global. Now, here's the good news for us as a local church called the Awakening Church. We are connected with a broader group of churches. A broader group of churches that was started by the movement of some early missionaries 125, 130 years ago. And it became known as the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I told you in a couple of weeks from today, we're all taking a road trip to be a part of a big gathering of people from Alliance churches around the U.S. and even some around the world in Long Beach. I'll talk about that again in a second. But we don't have to recreate the will. We just have to participate in what God's already doing with the networks that he's called us as a local body to be a part of. And should we give a rip? Yeah, we should give a rip because we're company people. No, because we're followers of Jesus and we want to be obedient to him. And so here's some statistics concerning the Christian Missionary Alliance, the network of churches we're a part of. There's 500,000 people worshiping in more than 2,000 Alliance churches in the United States. And um, I like how the president of the Alliance right now, John Stumbo, and we've showed a couple videos of him sometime, he's phrased it. He says, and you'll hear this in two weeks when you end up going for the missionary rally, that we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. Isn't that great? We are Christ-centered, focus on Christ, Acts 1-8. We're going to be fulfilling his commission, if you will, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and we're a family. And you'll get experience of that, especially if you go some multiple nights down at Long Beach. Uh, I just have always felt that way through the years. I've been in the Alliance since my parents started Alliance Church when I was, I think I was born in the nursery. Uh, that's how I felt like growing up in the Alliance Church. We had missionaries come in. I'd be involved in their lives and that kind of thing. And they'd come to our house. That's pretty cool. But we are a family. 
And I like the alliance because it's a family. And that's one of the reasons we would say, hey, let's all go do this as a church because we're a family of a broader family. But this Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family is just not in the United States. In fact, there are 6 million people worshiping in more than 20,000 alliance churches around the world. 180 languages and dialects in those 20,000 churches. And this is the fruit of the Christian Missionary Alliance for 125 years. People who chose not just to let their heart be pulled on, but they chose to lay down their life and make action happen. Because what happened in Acts 8.1, the scattering of the church, continues to happen. And one of the things that I really like about the group that we're connected with is that they're really interested in... um, changing the core values of us as individuals and us as families. In fact, these are some of the core values of the alliance. I like what it says. What we believe determines what we value, and what we value defines how we live. That's not just tugging on your heart, little sympathy for a while. What we believe determines what we value, and what we value defines how we live. I could go right around the room today and ask that. Well, what do you value? What do you value? Okay? And these are the core values. I highlight just four of them there in red. Lost people matter to God and he wants them found. Everything we have belongs to God. We are his stewards. Completing the Great Commission will require mobilization of every fully devoted disciple and achieving God's purposes means taking faith-filled risk. This always involves change. I want you to watch this video. This video is put out by the Alliance referencing the heart of the Alliance as it relates taking the gospel to the ends of the world because they're sort of like special ops. They identify areas where the gospel has not gone, and they send people in. Establish the church. When it comes healthy over the course of time, many decades sometimes, then you pull them out and redeploy them. Because the focus of the family that we're a part of and being on mission is to be on mission with those who have yet to hear or those who have yet to have access. Watch this. I'm Christian. I never thought I'd be involved in missions work someday. I thought that stuff was best left to the professionals. I'm from America, and in my town, there was a church on practically every corner. I had no reason to think it wasn't like that everywhere else in the world. It wasn't until I took a short-term missions trip with Envision that I realized that not everybody has the same kind of access to the gospel as we are privileged to have. It didn't take long for me to fall in love with the place, the music, the food, the culture especially the people. They were a lot like you and me. They had plans for the future. They valued family and education and having a good time. But I couldn't help but notice the overwhelming need. I can't explain to you the brokenness I saw all around me. There was the physical poverty of contaminated drinking water and malnutrition, but there was also the spiritual poverty of having absolutely no hope. I was shaken to my core. If you were to knock on doors in the U.S., it would take about six tries before someone answered who could tell you how to have a relationship with Jesus. In places like postmodern Europe, that number is closer to one in 500 doors. In parts of the world where there is no access to the gospel, it's a staggering one in 30,000 doors. I began to realize that I had taken my privileged access to the gospel for granted. I'd never even thought about this access divide that I had just witnessed and was feeling more and more compelled to bring this access to the people who were lost without it. Lost in the system of religion that binds people into submission. Lost in the discord of deities and idols. 
lost in a belief that we are alone in this world, that human enlightenment is the path to truth, and that our own works will determine whether we get to go to heaven or not. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? I mean, what would this place be like if Jesus' name could be declared publicly? What if these people truly understood what he did for them and why he did it? That was it for me. I was so overwhelmed by the grace I received from my own salvation, I knew I had to share the same grace with those who didn't have any access to it. Many of us share the call to send workers into the harvest field, but my family and I were called to go. We left our friends and family and careers, and now we're in a language study in a country where it's not exactly safe to talk about Jesus openly. That is, until we first earn the trust of those around us. We are doing much more than declaring the gospel message. We're living it out through our actions by serving our adopted community. Otherwise, we can't speak in ways they'll really hear us. We spend our time building friendships with our neighbors so that they might start asking about the reason for our hope. And of course, we'll be happy to tell them. So here we are. And, you know, there are many others in the Alliance who are willing to answer the call, just like us, to create access to the gospel in places where Jesus' name is not known. I'm Christian, and this is my story. I think that's a creative way to articulate the need of the world is to talk about the number of doors that it would take to knock on to find someone who could tell them about the Lord. Did you catch those statistics? They put them into three categories. The first is the high access. High access is where it would take only six doors to find somebody who knew something about Jesus. You live in a high access country of the world concerning Jesus Christ. And why is that? because people who've gone before us, right? That's high access. Then low access is this. Those who would take 500 doors to knock on to find somebody that knew something about Jesus. And then there was the low or no access. 30,000 doors before someone could tell you anything about Jesus. Friends, That's a lot of knocking on a lot of doors. I believe one of the ways for us to be mobilized is to open ourselves to the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning the lostness of people. We end up becoming blinded to it because we live not only in a country of affluence materially, but we live in a country of affluence spiritually. And we need to participate in being able to take the witness of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. One of the things I like about the Christian Missionary Alliance is this statistic right here. As it relates to high access, low access, no access, and you got the green, the gold, and the red on that map. And this is a map of of Africa, Asia, and and, uh, Europe area. It says this, and you can go to the next slide. 82% 
of international workers with the Christian Missionary Alliance are located in parts of the world with little or no access to the gospel. Now, the movement of the Alliance, the Christ-centered Acts 1-8 church family that we're a part of, there's 700 missionaries that we as an extended family in the Alliance support in 70-some countries around the world. So you take that number of missionaries that are given, actually, they don't go raise their own support in the alliance. We sort of give monies to a great commission fund, and that great commission fund then supports these missionaries around the world. And we pray for them, we send them, and we encourage them. We send short-term teams to them many times that they are located in some of the hottest places of the world as it relates to no access. But they're also hot places. Why? Because there's persecution and there's opposition. When you give... To the Alliance work and Great Commission, you are pouring in to the kettle that supports workers in those red areas. All right? And I believe that's a good thing. And what are they doing? Here's just a few things that are doing. We'll list them. Every four months, someone prays to receive Christ. Every week, nearly 3,000 new believers in Jesus Christ are baptized. Every hour. Three patients receive physical and spiritual care through Alliance Medical Works. Every month, 250 churches and church groups join the worldwide Alliance family. And every day, via 43 radio broadcasts, people have had, who have had no gospel witness hear the good news. And I love this last statistic here. Every year, nearly 10,000 students are trained for ministry through 125 Alliance theological schools. How does that happen? Because there's a group of people, as within other movements of evangelical faith, that decided they would do something about pushing back the lostness. That lost people matter to God. Our resources are, we are to be good stewards of them. We need to take faith-filled risk. And we are a part of that ongoing family. I want you to watch another video because this video just endears you to maybe the work of Alliance people. This will help you even for two weeks when we go to be a part of the missionary rally. It's like, well, what's all goes on with the Alliance? You know, what's this thing God's calling us to to be a part of uh, his mission in a broader sense? If you were to go to the country of West Africa, I mean, if you go to West Africa, there's a country named Burkina Faso. And here's a slice of some of the activity and some of the good news that's happening there through Alliance Works. Watch this. My father was into witchcraft and wanted me to do the same. It is a deep-rooted tradition in this area of Burkina Faso. But in my home, we found that the fetishes had lost their power. Before my father died, he told me, our fetishes are no longer powerful and we cannot trust them. You need to find the true God. The Kinadugu region is basically a province in western Burkina, and it's a region full of unreached people groups. Our field director asked us if we would consider going to the Kinadugu region, and we began praying, and really it was about an 11-month prayer journey, and at the end of that 11-month prayer journey, God clearly said that I needed to read Isaiah 44:15. I remember opening my Bible and, and reading that passage of scripture as it talks about a, a lost people that, that bow down to false gods and pray to them and ask them to, to save them. And, and as soon as I read that passage of scripture, it was clear in my heart that, that God wanted us to go. What was really neat was 
the same time, there were Christian farmers who had moved into this region. They had little churches, if you will, meeting, and they, they wanted to do more. They wanted to, to grow. They wanted to be discipled. And so God had put Christians in the area who were calling us to come help them. We have found that God has seated uh, a couple believers or maybe a family in these villages. Those are the people of peace in, in a village. So we just start working with them, and uh, we do evangelism. We pray over and over that God would reap a harvest in that village, and God has been faithful to do that. We've seen people come out of Islam to follow Jesus. We've seen people who have been trapped uh, in worshiping idols and fetishes leave those and come to follow Christ. This region has been a stronghold for Satan for generations, but by the power of prayer we have started to see openness. When we came to plant a church, we were given a piece of land that was called curse. Villagers watched to see people would die. Instead, they saw that our God was able to protect us. We've seen God speak to people through dreams. We've seen him healing the sick. God is calling these people back to himself. Hands down, the greatest miracle that I ever see, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a missionary or a pastor, is when I see a lost person come to Christ. To, to abandon all of that under tremendous amounts of pressure and persecution and give their lives to Christ, just every time I see it, I'm just going, wow, God, this is, this is incredible. When we went in there as a mission, we, we wanted to plant churches. But what has happened is in these churches, they've been changed and transformed, and, and they, they see that they can't hold this truth to themselves, so they have begun to evangelize their friends and go to other villages and plant churches. When we began working in the Kennedy as a mission, there were just a couple groups of believers. Today, we have nearly 40 communities of believers worshiping the Lord every week. Really, I tell people I'm living a missionary's dream. I've been able to experience and witness things that uh, I don't understand why, but some other missionaries haven't been able to. They've worked careers and not been able to see things. And sometimes I ask God, why me? I'm just so thankful. I found the true God. His name is Jesus. His name is the name that I call. I trust in the Lord, and He gives me peace. There is no other name as powerful as Jesus. My salvation is in Him. salvation and no other name but Jesus. But how will they hear if they don't have access? How will they hear unless somebody goes? So what do we do? What do we do at the culmination of a morning like this? Well, there's three things I want to challenge us with. I want to challenge us to pray. You should be praying for some missionary somewhere. In fact, the story I told you about the brokenness of the family this week, that's because of a missionary connection through the years. Praying for them, been there by their side. Pray for missionaries. And I want to challenge us to go. I'm even mindful in a room such as this, especially um, if you have your life all before you in many ways, that God could call one of you to alter your life and the trajectory to be a part of that global work. To pray, to go. And then we're going to close this morning in a little bit with the opportunity to give. And... Um, that's why you received again this morning the opportunity to give for the Great Commission Day 
offering, and we'll be taking that offering to Long Beach in two weeks. And um, so that's how I want to exhort us to do that. But in the praying and the going, I want to take a moment to um, have some people come up, and we're going to pray for them that are taking a short-term trip this summer to a mission field. So we have some that are going on a Romania team, and we have a couple other young adults that are going some different directions. If you are going on a short-term mission team, I know this is cold turkey for you, and I didn't know about you, I want to invite you to come up, and we just want to hear where they're going and how we can pray for them and uh, show you that this is not just for other people. It's for us that are in these chairs. Good deal. Stand up here in the lights. All the way, Julie. I'm going to start here with uh, Joe, and Joe is heading up a team with uh, three others that are up here. Mm -hmm. And tell us what's going on and when. Well, we're going to go to a... um, Do I have some? There we go. Uh, We're going to go to a low-access area, uh, the country of Romania. And um, Julie and I and Don and Dwayne are the ones that are representing our church, but we have... Uh, several others that are going from other churches in this area and from Oregon and St. Louis. We're going to travel to the capital city of Bucharest, Romania, and then travel three hours into the mountain to help a local church called Good News Church. It's a really cool church who wants to reach the inner city kids. Um, Put on a uh, children's camp, and we're going to be providing the English part of the children's camp, which makes it more attractive for the parents to send their kids. And uh, the Romanians are going to teach the gospel, and we're going to support them as we, as we work together to do that. So, Sweet. And you're leaving again when? Uh, June 18th through the 29th. All right, so the latter part of VBS week. You guys are heading out, right? So that's cool. So keep them in your mind. Keep them encouraged. Uh, you need some more prayer support people, right? They all now know. You're here, you're good. And, and with that. So this is my son, Zach, and Zach's got something coming up real quick. Um, this Friday, I head to Denver, Colorado with 21 other young adults from all around the U.S. and then a couple from out of the country for a spiritual formation slash mission trip. So this is a 58-day experience where I will be just growing in my faith along with a three-week um, mission trip overseas. And part of this is they don't really tell you what we're doing. <laughs> Or where you're going. Or where I'm going. So (laughs) it is all about trusting God and being able to just put your full faith forward and just go into his kingdom. Thanks, Zach. And uh, many of you have been great encouragement to my son. Thank you and the support of him. Cassie. Hello. Um, This summer I'll be co-leading a team of students from Azusa Pacific, my um, school, Um, to the Republic of Georgia. It's over by Russia and Armenia and Turkey. Um, And we'll be hosting a camp for high school students coming from Armenia. Um, And they've grown up with um, very orthodox Christianity, um, but they don't really understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. So um, kind of the goal of our camp is to introduce them to what that looks like. So that's what we'll be doing. That's in that box that we put up there on the screen, isn't it, George? We don't know where that's at. I'm going to invite us to stand. Would you stand? And a lot of times um, I think one of the great things to know is when you go out, even if it's a short-term trip, and a lot of times a short-term trip, I know it's 
definitely for the young adults that are up here, you're weighing that decision, God, what would you have me to do with my life? And uh, even for those of us that are in older years, it's like, how do I change the trajectory of my life to be concerned about things that uh, are on the heart of God? And what's on the heart of God is the fulfillment of the Great Commission so he can return. And so as we uh, stand here this morning, I want you to just sort of reach out your hands in a way of praying over them and commissioning them. And though not all of them are leaving right away, uh, before you know it, Weeks come and go around here. They'll be gone. And uh, we want you guys to know that we're praying behind you and supporting you in this trip. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that we could still be on mission after 2,000 years. As much as we want you to come back, Lord, we know that your heart is broken for lost people. Lord, for those who especially have no access or low access, or maybe they're even in a high access area, but they've never had anyone genuinely speak in their life concerning what it means to be fully alive in you. We thank you that we get to do this. And so, Lord, we just take these moments and just reach out our hands and pray over some of our body who are heading off on short-term missions this summer. We pray, God, that you would strengthen them and bless them. Uh, Lord, I always know there's plans and preparations and even fears that underride uh, the transition of everything, especially to an unknown geographical area. Lord, may you calm them and give them your peace. Lord, you've brought provisions, continue to bring the provisions needed. But, Lord, send them out full of your spirit. And, Lord, we don't know how they'll interact with people. We don't know if the trip will be valued more by what they give or what they receive. But, Lord, in these short-term endeavors, may you bless these individuals who are standing before you to say, take my life, use it. I want to experience what it means to step out of a comfort zone and be uh, available to you to take your witness from Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, we thank you. We pray that you would bless the lives that will be touched, whether it's through a class, whether it's through gifts of service, whatever it may be, Lord. May you direct through your spirit individuals to their lives that they can encourage and they can articulate the good news of your gospel. In your name we together pray. Amen. 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 Thanks. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We are uh, going to do one more opportunity here then. Next week, we go, I mean, in two weeks from today, we go to Long Beach. I've had a very strong response of you who said, we'll take the road trip. So the road trip is on May 31st, and uh, the board made a decision this week that we will not have service here in Marietta on the 31st. I think that's a bold step because it doesn't give you an excuse. I mean, you can stay home. You can go visit another church and feel what it feels like to be a new person. That's always good. You know, then you come back and then you're more friendly to new people, right? But there is no service here in this building on the 31st. Our service is, I don't know, I've not been here long enough, hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes away in Long Beach. And we want to make sure that we're there early enough to be able to get us maybe gathered in a certain area, and I'm going to articulate that through uh, social media the week of because I'll be there the whole week, and I want you to go. If you need a ride, and it's not really organized too much, show up here at 7.15. The elders felt it was best to make sure we got out of here early enough to get down there early enough. So 7.15 rather than 7.30. If you want to carpool some other people, it'll be here. And we will meet down there. We will gather, and we will have a couple... Um, two and a half hour experience 
And it truly is an experience. It's an experience of worship. It's an experience of the word. It's an experience of being exhorted of what God's doing around the world. And then there's the parade of nations, which all the missionaries that are home from around the world, uh, they get the flag of their country and they do a great parade march. And uh, two years ago when I was at council in Tampa Bay, and my life was in flux at the time, I remember standing at the front of General Council on Missionary Rally Day with my kids, worshiping God, saying, God, wherever. And as some of those missionaries walked around, and I've been in the Alliance family for a number of years, I know a few missionaries. Some of them are kids in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. To see them walking in their faithfulness and knowing that they were knocking it down for the kingdom of God. It's just a powerful witness reaffirming my conviction, my conviction to be a part of fulfilling the great commission that our Lord Jesus Christ intended. There's different ways we do that. Pray, go, and you can give. I passed out this offering envelope opportunity a couple of weeks ago. You have a copy again today. If you came prepared today to give a special offering to support the 700 missionaries, and in particular the highlight video, and I posted it on Facebook and others, is about um, the Alliance work in the Middle East, including Syria, some of the hottest beds of difficulty in our world today. They're there trying to build God's church. I want you to give, and to give generously and even sacrificially to the Great Commission because we are a part of a larger family, a larger movement, and a larger budget, and I'm proud of that. If you didn't come prepared to give to the Great Commission Fund today offering, then that's fine. You can come back, give it, whatever. We're going to pool the monies and we're going to take them and we're going to put it in the offering on the 31st, okay? So the ushers are going to come as we sing this concluding song and you can give your regular tithes and offerings to the Lord. But if you want to give a gift above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings, use this envelope or another one on your seat back and just write um, GCF, Great Commission Fund, or uh, designated mission somehow and we'll know what it goes for. But let's worship the Lord, not only with this song, to follow him. But let's worship the Lord with our offerings to be able to support those who are going. And let's pray that they would make inroads, especially in those places of no access.